the impact I really want to make? And is this it? I have an incredibly strong love of Facebook and Instagram and an incredibly strong hate. Hi, I'm Abby Gibb and welcome to the Full Body Fuck Yes podcast, a Soulfire production. This is an investigation and honoring of who we get to become in the process of embodying our dreams. If you're a rule breaker, paradigm shifter, and movement maker of today, then this leadership podcast is for you. It's time to finally take up more room on the page of your life. Welcome to the Full Body Fuck Yes podcast. Former Facebook exec and creator of Facebook Stories, Dr. Aaron Baker discusses what we really want as humans. As a psychologist and as somebody who worked at the place that we know to be social media, what do people want? They have no idea. Deep down, Facebook is deciding what it looks like to be connected. Connected to both each other and ourselves. Dr. Aaron says our greatest impact comes from deeply knowing, liking, and trusting ourselves and doing all of the work we want to in the world from that space. Together, we also investigate the power of being able to move fluidly through our identities, not just gender, and the power of leaving ones behind when they no longer serve us. Before we begin, if you've ever dreamed of sharing your story on the world's most sought after stage, then this is your sign to fucking go for it. I have personally given two TEDx talks to more than a million views and helped so many others do the same. My course, How to Land and Embody Your First TEDx Talk, will teach you everything you need for not only how to craft your talk, but also land it and spread it with ease. It's on sale today. The link is in the show notes and also on my Instagram. Now to Dr. Aaron. Wait, tell me what your shirt says right now. Holy shit, I love it. Right now, says I am, it's got straight, gay, bisexual, or yeah, lesbian, trans, queer, all crossed out, and then says a person. Yeah, you are a person. You are Um, a person. Yeah. Dr. Aaron, what what are the other shirts you have that I love? (laughs) Okay, so there's, um, I got 99 problems. Uh Uh-huh. And being misgendered is one. Yep. I've got too cute for a gender identity, which is my profile picture on Facebook. And then I've got Uh, another one that says human as fuck. Human as fuck. Yes. Human as fuck. Dr. Fucking Aaron. With that, that is the best introduction I could give anyone. I am so grateful that you're here today. I'm grateful you brought your shirts. I mean, I, I did it for you. I, I, I see. I appreciate it. I appreciate it <laughs> yeah. dearly. We have so much to talk about. Can I, just, I know. Can I start with the fact that I just, I just love you. I just love you. I just think that you are such an extraordinary too. person. And it is such an honor to have you here. Thank you. And bringing the party yeah. shirts is I, part of that. Tell me today, <laughs> what is what today is giving you the full body fuck yes about your life? Honestly, yeah, having a powerful as fuck conversation with you right now. Yeah. Like I I challenge you offline to like bring it. Like, yeah, you let's did. fucking bring it. Let's like fucking let's go. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Because there's so many yeah. facets to your story that are fascinating and there are pieces that everybody actually doesn't know the background of, but there's this little thing you may or may not have heard of it. It's called Instagram stories. It's tiny. 
little thing we Tiny. tend to use on like literally the hourly basis. And you were looking at one of the key people that brought that to life. How do you feel about it now? Years I have so after. many things to say. I know. Just so, go. How do so you feel I, about it? So social psychology is basically why humans think, feel, do what they do. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it's around in the real presence of people or like even the imagined presence of people. So it's everything from our identities to how we show up in groups. So Ooh. Instagram, Facebook, most people don't know this, but we actually cared we, I don't even want to use we anymore. They actually cared about understanding people deeply and building things for people to be able to share. And so when I went there, that's what I was really excited about. Mm -hmm. And, um, I worked more on the Facebook story side. So Instagram had already made stories and then we decided Facebook should have them too. And we really care deeply about what do people want to share? How do they want to share? Um, you know, what's really wonderful about being able to connect in that way. But in that process, I realized there was so much nuance and so much cultural difference in what even people share that I started to question. And it was also at a time of my life when everything was up in the air with yeah. my family. Yeah. I started to question like, what's the impact I really want to make? And is this it? Mm. Um, and so I can go much deeper into my story why I walked away, but I have an incredibly strong love of Facebook and Instagram and an incredibly strong hate. Yeah. And I can be with both of them. I believe that it has shifted a lot of things in our society positively. Like my mom got really sick while I was at Facebook and Facebook was what connected me to my mom's network and had people send messages to my mom in the ICU. Right. So that's like really powerful for me. Yeah. But I also get on Facebook and Instagram every day and I see how it's putting veneers on people and personas and it's creating these false perceptions of what real life is. And I see the ways in which trolls are are taking over and the stuff that's creating in our political divides. And I just cannot see past that. And so I, f- I feel mixed and yeah. I sometimes think I'm going to just completely get rid of my profiles. And then sometimes I go, no, this is the way I connect. So, oh my gosh, I feel the same way. How about everybody that's listening right now? Do you, do you just throw down, right? Like they're, they're loofah. If they're taking a shower, listening to us, or they threw down their keys and they're like, that's it. Every day I want to burn it down. And I also think it's one of the greatest things we've ever been able to have. Yeah. It connected me to you. It yes. connects me to almost everyone I've met these days. Um, and yet at the same time, it's, it's not good for my mental health. I'll tell you that it's, I don't know. I feel like it's on the same plane as sugar mm-hmm. when I'm well, it's dopamine, it's yeah. dopamine hits. Yeah. Right. And, and we get addicted and, you know, it brings out all of the things and insecurities Fuck yes, it does. that we've, that we've felt. And, it's creating us being socially engaged in a way that we never were before. Like we're always on. Yeah. And we're not built for that. I mean, that's the thing is right. I, I feel that it's built on the pieces of us that are meant to be healthy, right? Creating yeah. uh, community, small groups of people that are meant to connect and stay together. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. for people like us who thrive on that, right? It's, it's a natural part that we would like it but we're not meant to be available or take on the opinions of tens of thousands of people. That's just 
that's just not how a human is built, let alone millions. Right. Like, yeah. And I have such a mixed feeling about it. And I want to ask you as someone who is gender nonconforming, who has been able to really make your own path and give permission for others to do the same. What do you think social media does for people that have consistently felt like outsiders? Does it help or does it hurt more? I think it helps. Mm. Um, but you know, it's all of this is mixed. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's totally mixed. And it depends on who's showing up in your feed and what mm-hmm. they're saying. Right. Yeah. So one of my deepest values is I'm going to show up completely me. Mm-hmm. And when I made that switch, even when I thought about my business, I stopped thinking about what am I teaching? What do I have to bring to the table? What's the outward yeah. thing? I said, what if I just show up and share my life and share me and share my truth? Share your shit. Share my shit, right? Mm-hmm. And as soon as I did that, that's when I started recognizing, oh shit, people have always been watching me. And then not a bad way. I have a powerful voice. Yep. And I'm 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 sharing my shit for me. I'm sharing my truth for me. And that has had so many people come to their own realizations about themselves, whether it's gender or other things and feel that permission to be themselves. And it it really does stand out in the social media world. I can't tell you how many accounts of people I follow. And I'm going, you're boring as fuck right now (laughs) because you're You're trying to be like everybody everybody else. else. Right. It's the, it goes to the, to the lowest common denominator sometimes. And then other times there are these diamonds in the rough, like you that just truly shine every single day of how you're showing up. And in my second Ted talk, I talk about a lot about social media and your old bosses, the old honchos over at Facebook told us that we scroll through as millennials, especially about 300 to 600 feet, at least per day which is the length of at least one or two football fields. So we have to think about how we're curating our reality or how, what people are inside of our football stadium, influencing Mm -hmm. what we consider to be, and I use air quotes, reality Mm -hmm. of the day. And the algorithm of course is a downward spiral that just continues to show you more of a confirmation bias. Absolutely. So that's why I feel so passionately about having you on this podcast about amplifying voices that don't sound or look like everyone else, because this world doesn't look (laughs) or sound like whatever you look like. It just doesn't. There's just so much more nuanced as we talked about. And before we get more into your personal story, which is fucking fascinating, cannot wait. I want to know a little bit more from an expert on two fronts as a psychologist and as somebody who worked at the place that we know to be social media. What do people want? Can they have no, they have no idea. Isn't that like the quote, like if they, if they, um, if they knew what they wanted, they would have just wanted faster horses. Yeah, that's a big one. Although there's there's nuances to that. There's also as a former researcher, um, like bullshit abs, right? So I mean, it's true in some ways, and it's not true. Deep down, people want to feel connected, Mm -hmm. right? So what people want 
if you ask them, do you want, yeah, faster horses, you'll get that like surface level thing. If you can ask the deeper questions about at the core, what do mm-hmm. people really want? It's things like love and connection and fun and what then Facebook does is decides what that looks like. That's the piece, right? Right. And that's hard. And if, and I will say some of my favorite human beings on the planet work at Facebook. They are smart. They are caring. They really want to do good things. And they're just not going to get it right all the time. Right. Yeah. And there's also pressures. You know, you think about shareholders and, you know, got a level up of, you know, Zuck and he has his own visions and plans. But like deep down, Facebook is deciding what it looks like to be connected. And they're thinking in a very short term. And I think part of that is just humans get locked into, we can't think of the downstream consequences. So you're talking about the, the scroll of how many feet we scroll every day. Yeah. I've heard, and this is just rumors, so don't quote me on this <laughs> out there, but like that the person who invented that infinite scroll regrets it because we didn't know the long term consequences of infinite scroll, the unintended consequences. There were yeah. unintended consequences of a like button that has now created all of this like validation stuff. We just, yeah. we thought there was a good thing to be able to acknowledge and support other people. Right. So like that almost everything has the short term benefit and a long term consequence. And if Facebook just can't always catch what six months, 12 months, two years down the road, what the impact is what that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. I want to go a little more deeply here. There's two really beautiful pieces that you just mentioned. Number one, I want to talk more deeply from your expert opinion of what the fuck connection actually means. What When a human says this, because we talk about this all the time and you hear this as like one of those buzzwords like authenticity, mm-hmm. connection, engagement, yes. right? I hate buzzwords. I yes. do too. So what the need- fuck does connection mean from you? You're, you're the expert here. You know, I'm going to make up my own definition. I, like I don't Go. know. I don't know that there's a, a one size fits all model. I know from the work I've been doing in the last couple of years on myself, the mm-hmm. deep work and the deep work I do with, with coaching clients and with friends is people just want to be seen. Yeah. That's they it. just want to be able to express who they are in that moment and be seen and relate and know that they're not the only unicorn or weirdo <laughs> or whatever out there. out there. Yeah. Yeah. I and, feel like connection has these three components to it. And like love, it's one of those things that you really know when you feel it. And it's hard Mm -hmm. to describe it. And I feel like connection is really about feeling seen, heard, and loved. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And that's what we're actually, we we pull that phone up hoping in this disconnected society, right? That Mm -hmm. we're going to have this this thing called Mm -hmm. connection. And yet, why do we feel, and that was all part of my second TED Talk. Dr. Aaron, why do we feel so disconnected when we've had more connectivity than ever before. Because it's not giving us what we really want and what we really need, which is connection. What you just defined, Facebook doesn't make you feel loved. Mm. 
Facebook doesn't always make you feel seen, especially if you're lurking and you're like looking at the perfect lives yes. of the perfect people. Filtered doesn't by make, the way. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, if you're shouting into a void, you don't feel heard. Doesn't make you always feel understood. What we really need with connection too is that dialogue, that back and forth of empathy and understanding. Yeah. We're, we're still not a, a, a human race that connects digitally in the same way we connect in person. That's why COVID is, we're all so disconnected right now. Zoom isn't doing it for us. No. We need to feel each other's energy, right? We need to hug each other. We need to touch each other. We need to yeah. be in each other's presence. And sometimes connection isn't words, right? It's mm. you're sitting at the park listening to the birds together and you feel super connected to the person next to you. And that yeah. can't be recreated in a virtual yeah. environment where it's all about talking mostly at each other. Yeah. <laughs> Not with even just at, just at, yes. and I, I want to get into in a bit, we'll get into, well, then what the fuck do we do? Right. You and I, everyone listening, you're all leaders of some kind. You're leading your families, you're leading your businesses, you're leading your communities. So like, what the fuck do we do? Let's get back to that because that's a big, that's a big piece. But the other component that I find fascinating that you just said was about the question, right? So it's, it's a matter, it really comes down to the nature of the question. If you ask, do you want faster horses? They're going to say yes. But if you ask a deeper question, you're going to get a deeper response. Mm -hmm. And what I'm interested with is this piece about Michael Bernard Beckwith that I read. Uh, he's like a really dope spiritual teacher that I really enjoy. And he says, it really comes back to the nature of how we ask questions. If you ask why me, you're going to get the response. Oh, because you don't fit into the mold, right? The algorithm hates you. Uh, mm -hmm. Why me? Because you didn't come from the right family. But what can I learn from this? Or who might be able to support me better? When you ask richer questions, you're going to get richer responses. How do you feel Facebook has done about asking richer, deeper questions by hiring someone like you who literally is an expert in asking deep questions? They do the best that they can. I think they're knowing the very dedicated, very smart people that work there. I think that, and they weren't when I was there doing as good of a job, but they were starting to, I mean, I left in 2017. I've been yeah. gone longer than I was there. I think they're, they're doing what they can to ask the deeper questions. And I know that there's some deep passion and caring about how do we make some of these things better. My, my gut instinct is that we're never going to get it right with now there's 3 billion people on the platform. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, you know, you think about all the cultural nuances that are happening, uh, different things happening in different parts of the world, just even just the diversity we have within the U.S. Yeah. And you can't, we've never in humanity had any product or service that reaches this many people. And so as a one size fits all model for the globe, it can never make the mark. Yeah. You just have to understand the limitations of it is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a moment where you're sitting in the hospital room with your mom that really brought all of this. You as a human being, you as a daughter, you as a child, you as an employee, you as a partner, 
all of those pieces came to a head. What happened? I just love the way you asked that question. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So 2017, yes, 2017, February, um, my mom, my, actually my grandmother died in Iowa and I went to the funeral and my mom at the funeral said, my back's really hurting. And the day we, we parted ways, she couldn't even bend down to put her socks on. So I helped her put her socks on. A week later, I get a call from her husband saying, Aaron, you need to fly down. Um, she is going in for emergency surgery. And what we found is that we don't actually know the cause, but she had a staph infection, almost the size of a tennis ball in her spine. Oh, shit. That staph infection, they did spinal surgery, but it spread to her entire body and turned into spinal meningitis. And she was comatose for, I don't know if it was four weeks, five weeks. I can never remember at this point, but yeah. we didn't know she was going to live. Yeah. So the last moment memory of my mom is helping her put her socks on at my grandmother's funeral. A week later, she's in the ICU on a ventilator, not with us. I had just been promoted a couple months earlier to, to manager of this team that I had basically been managing for a long time. And I had finally in my head after three and a half years of some pretty big struggle made it. Yeah. And we were about to launch Facebook stories to the world. We'd had it out in 10 countries and Mark Zuck needed some data that would help support whether we could go global. And one of my colleagues that I called my work wife said, I can take this. And I said, no, no, I want this. This is my chance to shine in front of Zuck. Yeah. While my mother is fucking sitting, not sitting, laying there comatose. I'm not in the room with her. We couldn't be with her at all times, but you'll appreciate this. I'm in the ICU. There's two TVs in the ICU. One is playing Fox News and one is playing oh, CNN. Shit. And so I'm getting like Donald Trump <laughs> from two different perspectives. Oh, you don't need any of that while you're also right. in the so ICU. Like, but I'm sitting there justifying to myself, I have nothing better to do. My mom is comatose. I might as well analyze this data for Zuck. Let me just Justifying pause you. it. Let me just pause you because this is such a type A overachiever. I, oh, I can <laughs> smell this shit because kettle black. Yep. Hi, nice to meet you. Yeah. I have nothing else to do. How many of you just heard that piece and were like, oh, yep, that's me. Because I'm in the hospital. I have to optimize my day. Right? Yeah. Being and I can't present. fall behind. Yep. I just, I just got this opportunity to manage my team. Yep. My coworker had been in meetings with Zuck before. I hadn't. Um, and this so is this is your chance, I, right? Yeah. Chance to shine. And then I don't know when it hit me. I think it actually didn't hit me till much later. It was just like how fucked my priorities were. Like I didn't need to be doing anything. Um, I could have been sitting there, you know, reading a book or watching TV. I mean, we were there all day, every day because yeah. we didn't know what was happening with my mom and she was in a place where she was stable, but if anything changed, we didn't want to be gone. So, totally. um, my, my, um, my mom's husband, John and my wife, Meryl and I were all there sitting together, but there were so many other things I could have been doing. I could have said, you know what? I'm not going to analyze that data set. I'm going to let somebody else take it. But that was just the beginning of me realizing that I was in this really bad place of my priorities were all fucked up. So my mom woke up for four weeks later, five weeks later, Oof. 
Bless. There were some other things that, about like whether she was going to make it and what decisions we had to make. But when she, she got back um, into somewhat consciousness, they said she was never going to move again. Mm. And that, that the damage to her spine was so bad. And they did transfer her to a rehab hospital where she spent six months learning to move finger by finger by <sighs> arm. And I flew home. So I was in, living in San Francisco. She lives in Tucson, Arizona. So I'd fly back to Tucson every couple of weeks to hang out with her for a few days. And work was being great about it. But every time I was back at Facebook, I'm thinking, my mom's laying there. Like, why am I not with my mom? Why am I not sitting with her, you know, watching TV or whatever yeah. it is, right? And then when I was with her, I'm sitting there going, oh my God, I have a team to manage. Like, what does my team need? And so I was just in this place for almost six months of just these split priorities and really going, what really is important to me? Yeah. What does all right? this even mean? I mean, that, right? that is hell on earth, that right there. And I was stressed. And then some new management came in at Facebook that I was kind of at odds with. And at one point, Marilyn, my wife, uh, she and I were at a couples therapist appointment. We had hired a couples therapist to help us with the stress of my mom. And Meryl turns to me and says, Aaron, you've got to leave Facebook. It's killing you. Yeah. And I was so wrapped up in being at the most prestigious company on earth yeah. in my mind. Yeah. And I was moving up the ladder. I was successful. I had no idea what I'd be doing if I wasn't there. Yep. <laughs> and I left. Yeah. And then for the next, it took me a year to, to decide I was going to be an entrepreneur, but I left and the whole time I'm going, how do I spend more time with my family? How do I rebalance? How do I not let something like a job take over? Yeah. And I want to come into, of course, what that started to look like for you, but let's break yeah. this down. I want to pull it out like an accordion and I want to get a little bit more into some of this conversation because the moment that you decide to leave, the, as you saw it, the most prestigious company in the world, the most influential company. I don't care what anyone says. It's either that or Amazon, but pretty much they're the most influential companies in our lives. And you leave. And it brings me to a really yummy, deep conversation. I feel like I'm about to eat a slice of chocolate cake with you about mm. identity. Yeah. So yes. much about all of us at some point. There's no one listening to this podcast that hasn't already had at least one identity death. There may be in it right now. I'm in it right now. I feel like I'm being filleted open as we speak. Like nobody asked a snake what it feels like to lose its skin while it's alive. Like, mm, it's not fun. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about identity for you. Yeah, that was, that's what I was holding on to, mm -hmm. right? It, this identity of... I was a, not just a Facebook researcher. I was a leader. I was a researcher. I was absolutely terrified that there were no other opportunities out there that would be as, it wasn't prestigious. It was just as fulfilling or as fun. I had the thing that was so um, difficult for me was that my entire social world yes. was also Facebook. So yes. I had moved from grad school after I left grad school, I went to Facebook and actually several of my grad school friends ended up at Facebook too. Right. And so my entire circle of friends for five years in San Francisco was yeah. my set of coworkers. And so I was literally leaving my entire world behind. Yeah. That world that made you, as we just talked about, feel seen, heard and loved. 
that you and mattered enough. in this world, right? Yeah. That you were enough. Yeah. That's and that was the shit. part that was so toxic, toxic for me is that I was sourcing my enoughness through the, the ladder, the, the, the Ooh. achievements, mm-hmm. the promotions, the six month you exceeded expectations cycle. Um, I liken it to that. It's like every six months I'd start at the bottom of the ocean, like Mariana's trench. Right. And like all the pressure was like crushing me. And so I was yeah. just swimming, swimming, swimming up all the time. Right. And I get to that six month bonus promotion and I'd finally reach the, the, the ocean surface and I take a deep breath and then I go right back down to the bottom. Yeah. Of the that's ocean. what I was going to say. And how long did it last? Right. A breath. Briefly. Yeah. A breath, a breath. Yeah. And so that was just my constant cycle. And so here I am, my whole worth, my whole identity, my whole social world is wrapped up in Facebook. And so that what was keeping me there. And I had outgrown it. And it was absolutely terrifying in some ways. And yet the, the day I left, I remember I had to get an Uber home because I couldn't take the shuttle home. Yeah. I remember like the freedom. Um, there's a song, my favorite artist, Vienna Tang has a song called Goodbye New York. Um, and it, in, there's a line in it that says, I walk away to remember who I am. Ooh, wait, say that one more time for the cheap seats in the back. Yeah. I walk away to remember who I am. And there was another thing about like, you take more than you give, but when you give, oh my, it's about New York, but I was like, that's Facebook, right? I listened to that song on the way out. And I remember hearing that I walk away to remember who I am and saying, God, I'm so excited to find out who I am. Yeah. Who, who the fuck am I? Who the fuck am I? And that has been my journey since that moment. And that was the catalyst to a whole bunch of discovery. And now I, here's what I believe. Who am I changes every day. Yes. Yes. We're experiencing identity death every day, (laughs) every day, every Every day, day. (laughs) every day. And we're expect we're building up identities that we shed, but we're also bringing things along with us. And so I'm trying to also remember part of me died when I left Facebook but a whole bunch of me still came along. Yeah. What parts, what was the one part of you that died in that moment? The biggest part of you that died in that moment? Ooh. I'm trying to think like three or four things yeah. swirled. The biggest part of me that died, um, was the person that was going to go up the leadership ladder at Facebook and be, I knew that at that moment, actually, when I moved on to Microsoft, I knew Microsoft was a stepping stone. I didn't know what it was to yet. Yeah. There was some stuff percolating for me, but I knew it was a stepping stone and that the corporate ladder was not for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that had been an identity I had really built up um, in me. The identity that didn't die was the person who's insanely curious about what's going on deep, deep, deep in people. Yeah. And that's, that's where my superpower lies. That's what I like to, to pull out and that'll never go away. No, I'm insanely curious about the depths that we can go to. I love this word curious. I've been sitting with that word actually a lot recently about just staying curious about my life. Um, Mm -hmm. when I, when I said me too, in that moment on the kitchen floor, What died for me 
was this certainty around being famous. Mm. Right? Like you'll never be traditionally famous. Nobody will know you. Nobody gives a shit about you after this moment. You don't matter. That's not true, but that's what it felt that in that moment, that's yeah. what I was saying goodbye to. And what I realized will always stay with me is storytelling. I love mm-hmm. people's stories, everyone's stories. I love teaching others how to tell their story. I love hearing your story. I love telling my story. I just don't get fucking tired of stories. And that's why I find it so fascinating. And in your word, I'm curious about how when we, when we die, the stories that die with us. Because in that moment for me, and I don't know for you, in the moment for me, a story that only extrinsic validation made me matter, right? So ratings made me matter. Likes and shares and views and the amount of people in a day, I would count sometimes, but I would, of how many people said hi to me or noticed me or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that story got to die. What is a story? that died with that identity. Mm. I have so many stories. <laughs> I love this idea of stories dying too. Honestly, the story that died and it took a slower death than I would have liked, but the story that died was that my worth was dependent on what I did. Fuck yes. Let that shit burn. Why is yeah. that so fucking hard for us? I don't know. I actually wrote a newsletter about this the other day because I keep a baby picture of myself on my desk. Yeah. And you look back and no baby is not enough. Yeah. They're enough. They are worthy. They're inherently valid. And yet us adults, we somehow make this shift. And so what I asked, I wrote in this newsletter is like, so did we like cross some threshold at some age that we were all of a sudden no longer enough? I did. No. I did. Well, I we think, did. I well, think so I we, can we tell ourselves that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Tell me. You're the psychologist. Well, tell me. Tell so me. This tell is what me. happens is our mentors, teachers, yeah. parents, society, we get to a place where we start learning what enoughness is about. And so we now tell ourselves a story that enoughness equals. We didn't ever stop being enough. Society just started redefining enoughness in a way that is not true. Ooh. Ooh, that's some yummy shit. Oh, I like that. Cause see, I, until this moment, I am today years old, Dr. Aaron. I would have told you, oh yeah, I know exactly. I know exactly when I thought I wasn't enough. And I realized that I wanted the gold stars in first grade Mm. across your name, you know, on the wall. And yep. that's called, I call it my gold star voice. And I, I'll be damned if there's anybody else who's going to have more fucking gold stars than me. Hell no. And that shit fueled me. What, what is made of a gold star? You get that shit at the 99 cent store. I don't know. Exactly. Right. But I was so sure that on the next rung, the next show, the next thing, there'd be that star. And I right. lived on an idea, not even a real thing. And that's what I'm so fascinated with about these stories that we get that die if we let them 
and the, and the stories that we create. And I want to just chat about for you from so many different, oh God, you're fascinating. So many different fucking <clears throat> facets of you. Just so to me, by the way, I'm having the greatest day of my life. Like this is a full body yeah, fuck yes conversation. Yeah, I am just to let you know, best. I'm having so much fun right now. <laughs> me too. Okay, so good. good. Okay, great. Uh, what I'm fascinated by, curious in your word, is this story dying around identity and then the creation of a story? Or does all of that die for you and you're just Aaron? How did this mm -hmm. death at Facebook and you being able to be an amalgamation, you're such a fantastic, beautiful alchemy of elements that gets to just be human instead of a box. How did that come to be as your identity? Oh gosh, there's so many different, different ways I could handle this question. Here's what I'm gonna start with. Okay. What I came to just discover in the last several years, and it's a result of this, this gender exploration I've been doing, is that our identities are just so fluid and that we have access to the infinite, uh, like level, there's every identity is, is accessible to us. So I actually don't know that I have called my identity died. I've actually just put it away in, in the, in the, I call it the, I think of it like as a big pool, like there's okay. an ocean of different identities that you can swim in and pull out at any different time. And so the identity of that person that was, you know, only worthy if when they achieved that identity or the identity of like the um, corporate ladder person, that identity is just in a pool. And if I want to bring that identity back, that's healthy. I will. Ooh, I like this. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. Right. And so now I get to play with this idea of, well, what identities am I trying on today? What identities are present for me today? What identities no longer feel good? And it's actually been such an eye-opening thing as I've started a business. Being fluid in my gender has let me be so fluid in who I am and how I show up in my business. And it gives me permission to pivot at a moment's notice. Oh, I like this. Okay. All, All right. right. How did you give yourself permission to be gender fluid? What the fuck does that mean? Help me. <laughs> Okay. Well, it took a while for me to give myself permission. Let me just start yeah. with that because yeah. it's not easy. Yeah. So there's a sort of like, I'm 37. So 37 year history of this, yeah. of when I was a kid, I definitely did not want to be a boy, but there was some part of me that was like, wait a sec, was I supposed to be a boy? But I really don't like being a girl. And so for my whole childhood, there was just this sort of like, I don't get it. I don't fit in these gender boxes. But female was, I didn't know that there was anything in between, right? Why would I know? Yeah. There's just male, female. And so I just sort of grew up discombobulated. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. What did it, how did that form feeling so, you know me, I love this word embodied. Yeah. Right? And feeling like you can't marry the elements inside of you. That one was, it was hard. I didn't understand it. I didn't, I didn't know what the discombobulation was. And let's be honest, let's go back to yeah, hey. you know, the idea that kids are like, you know, perfect. I had no idea something was different or wrong with me until someone started to point it out. I was so comfortable in who I was as a kid. I played basketball. I wore basketball jerseys everywhere. I yeah. walked like a boy. Like I just did all kinds of boyish things 
while I'm being using, a girl until I'm using boy in air quotes too. Yeah, right? boy in air yeah. quotes until about middle school when someone started telling me that was not okay. And then I became not okay. Ooh. Right. Okay. And so I then just toward for middle school, high school, just tried my best to put myself in the female box. And I also was questioning my sexuality at the time, which was a completely different ballgame. And then I went to college. And as I came out in college, as I was at the time, just, I don't know what I am. I'm not straight. Um, I met somebody who had transitioned from female to male. And he, he introduced this concept of non-binary and gender fluid to me. And I went, Oh, Ooh. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, there's another right? box. Oh, that's there's good. another box. Yeah. And I will say I had, you know, as I had gone through puberty, I had somehow not been blessed with my mom's small chest. I had like D cup. Oh, boobs. that's just rude. So I'm like looking down Fuck. and going like, I really did. I felt like I had aliens on my chest. Yeah. Like, this is just not me. And I remember someone in college getting a top surgery and I looked at it and I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, I could never do that. And so I just, spent 10 years being like, I don't feel comfortable in this body of mine. I know there's some fluidity, but like society pressure was crushing for me. Right. Um, I felt not okay. It was huge for me to even come out as gay. And so for me to go like, we're going to add a layer to this. Yeah. Fuck. (laughs) Fuck. Like what? This is like in, you know, I'm, I finished college in uh, 2006. I moved out to San Diego right when Prop 8 happened. Yeah. So I was marching in the streets of San Diego, Hell like yeah. fighting for gay marriage. Like, so 2008, 2009, right after I discovered gender stuff, I was like, nope. I went and taught it at the LGBT center in San Diego. I taught gender fluidity stuff, but would not let myself lean into it for myself. Wow. Why? Right? Why? Why did you still feel that disconnect? I wasn't ready to have another identity to have yeah. to come out. And that's okay, by the way, yeah. for anyone listening, yeah. you don't owe yeah. people shit. You I wasn't you. ready to deal with it yeah. within myself. I wasn't ready to have conversations around it. At some point, what happened was um, I'd given some gender workshops at the LGBT center and I had met somebody there who became a really good friend who then started identifying as non-binary. And I watched this friend of mine slowly grow into their identity and become more and more comfortable and get top surgery. And I'm like, fuck, what am I doing? Like this person that I introduced to this concept is now flourishing. And what am I doing? And again, I was still like society, right? Yeah. How am I going to show up? I mean, it took me until I was age 25 to cut my hair because I didn't want to show up masculine. So I'm walking around with long hair until 25 years old. And then now 25 from 25 to 35, I'm going, I'm already confused for a guy in restrooms. What happens if I have top surgery? What happens if I come out? And what happens when I go to a beach? And what happens when I travel? Safety too. I mean, let's just call it. Totally. Safety. safety. Total safety thing. Total safety thing. But it kept coming up. Like I, when I was in grad school, I explored with a plastic surgeon and they said, no, we can't really do what you want to do. And so I said, okay, well, I'm not going to do it. Right after I started working at Microsoft, I had hired a coach basically right after I left Facebook. I'd hired a coach because I I needed to, to work on my burnout, basically. And yeah. she said, come down to Mexico, come to this retreat. And I was like, okay, well, um, everybody there is going to be this like cisgendered, heterosexual, probably white woman. Yeah. Why would I do this? And 
my coach, she's like, trust me, come to this retreat. And she's queer. So I was like, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And at that retreat, I said, you know what? I'm going to make a decision about top surgery. And so I spent the entire time at this retreat exploring it. And these heterosexual, cisgendered white women have become my greatest supporters on the planet. They're the loves of my life. They were the ones who texted me and called me when I went to the appointment. They're the ones who texted me and called me when I had the surgery itself. And what really helped is I think, I don't know if it was at the retreat or if it was my coach. She said, at what point are you going to choose yourself and not society? That's, but let's be fair. What it was asking of you is not exactly the same as everyone else that was at that right. yoga retreat. Let's just, you know, yeah. call a spade a spade. You are a brave motherfucker. So are. it was wonderful because then I went back to Mexico twice to do retreats with her. Once was right after the surgery. And it um, was the first time I took my shirt off in front of somebody. Yeah. And then I then went back again and did it, did it again. And then the last thing I did before COVID is I hosted a queer retreat with this coach friend of mine in Mexico. And I have pictures of me on the beach walking around. So the first couple of times it was at the house, right? The retreat. Now yeah. I like March, 2020 walked around a beach yeah. in Mexico without my shirt on. And I think your question was, how do I give myself permission? It was taking these little courage steps yeah. along the way and giving myself more and more p permission to be me and to be me more publicly and seeing how when I did that, I had more permission internally to That's play. It. That's it. Oh, you are so brave. <laughs> How did it feel to see externally for the first time how you felt internally? Because that's the piece I hope that if you are cis, heteronormative in this culture presenting, what that the privilege of looking the way you feel. And if you've not thought about that at home, I hope you sit there today and think about that because I, I grew up looking the exact way I felt and was praised for it. I loved everything girly, every dress you put on me. I went to fucking mm -hmm. cotillion. I mean, like, Jesus, that's a whole thing to unpack of another day, but like, Jesus, you know, and it took you, how old were you? How old were you when you were able to walk on a beach looking so the way I was, you felt? So I, I had my top surgery March, 2018. So I consider that another birthday yeah. for me, March, March 1st. Um, walking on a beach in front of other people, March, 2020, two years later. So you were what, 30? 36, 36, 36. It was right before my 36th birthday. I'm a March birthday. So like yeah. right before my 36th birthday. So the, but the waking up from top surgery in March, 2018, it took me a couple of weeks because I had bandages, yeah. but yeah. when I finally was able to like look at myself and put on clothes for the first time, I don't even have words for how incredible it was. And it was, I was so scared for so long that maybe I didn't really want this. And what if I did this and I didn't like it? And I was able to go with, well, the fear of what if I don't is so much stronger than the fear of what if I do right now. So I'm just going to go do it. And if I don't like it, I'll get implants. <laughs> like, I, like, I mean, right though, like, right. Like whatever. So 
But I looked down and I went, oh, fuck. And then what was so beautiful is I don't remember who it was, but somebody said, this is the way we've always seen you. Oh, we don't remember what you look like before. What a gift. That friend. Yeah. I think it was my best friend. I'm pretty sure it was. That's <laughs> that sounds like what, what she would say. But like, oh my gosh, now I'm seeing me. Yeah. The way I've always seen me. And they're seeing I'm seeing me the way they've always they they've always seen yeah. me. Yeah. Right? It finally matches. It finally matches. And now it's such a beautiful thing of I just don't even think about it. I don't get harassed more in the bathrooms. When I go to Mexico, I speak Spanish well enough to tell people I'm a mujer. You know, I'll go to the women's bathroom. I don't get harassed more. People don't notice it. And I do. I notice it every day. Every day when I look in the mirror, I look down at my body and I go, hey, that's me. Yeah, that's me. That's me. That's finally me. Yeah. And And it's a good reminder of like the fluidity, right? Because I can look at the masculine part of me and think of all the the masculine parts of me that want to come out to play. And I can look at the feminine part of me and see all that, you know, all that wanting to come out and play too. They both get to be there. And that is just, that is Mm -hmm. just so beautiful. That is so beautiful because what I have discovered personally in my own life and um, with other beautiful, I consider to be friends and other leaders like you, is that the deeper that we give ourselves permission to just be, it it can't possibly not permeate every other aspect of our life. So I just had um, Kelly Tennant on the podcast, who's also inside of the Academy. If you don't know, uh, Dr. Aaron is joining us as well. I'm so excited to be inside of the Divine Feminine <laughs> Leadership Academy. Um, and so we were chatting about both of our journeys towards our own sexuality. And for me, the best way that I I don't, obviously just like you, I don't like boxes, but people love to ask you and put you in boxes. And the best I can say is that, okay, that I'm queer or pansexual. I like people, usually dudes, Mm -hmm. but not always. And like, that's the best I can say about me. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know growing up that we even had that choice. And so I know the power of the people that do look to us who we're giving permission to, to say, it doesn't have to always look in a neat, perfect little bow. I'm not, I'm not gay. I'm not straight. I get to have somewhere where I like people that Mm -hmm. are usually presenting as men, but definitely not always. And what I found so fascinating was when I started to explore my sexuality, when I started to have sex with people who presented in more unique combinations than I was raised back in the early 90s with, how that permeated and brought such joy to every other aspect of my life. A piece I haven't had the opportunity to talk about a ton yet, which is why I'm excited about this podcast. And I I see this in you as a friend is that when I started to say, oh my gosh, and give myself permission to say, I find her attractive. I find them attractive. I find him attractive. I said, and I find these parts about me attractive. There was like a whole fucking treasure trove of stuff about me. And I became a better leader. I had the confidence to create the business that you see now. I write in a completely different way. What was that treasure trove for you? I can tell on your face, you know what I mean. 
oh, I totally, yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me. So you're talking about, you know, that permission to be, you know, more open with who you're attracted to. I'm thinking about also the permission to change that. Yeah. So I have a, a good friend who um, came out at 40 and I knew her. She was actually the first person I ever had a crush on. And God, why'd you wait till 40? Um, yeah, right. You're like, uh, <laughs> she was straight. But I think there's this, this treasure trove when you have this permission. Um, it's when you have this permission to love parts of other people, you get this love to, to love parts of you, to change parts of you. And it's like, almost the most fun thing you can do is get to know you yeah. on a daily basis. And there's this part that's of, you know, the, the, the work we're up to in the world. That's actually very selfishly like all about me. Oh, and like, 100%. like no, all about call it what it is. Like, let's go. With it. I am like, I'm constantly on a coaching call with a client and they'll like be teaching them something or asking them a question yeah. about something. And I'm like, Oh, this is for me. Oh, okay. 110% um, fucking right? every day. I say, like, right. we can't go deeper with our clients than we're willing to go with ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's the thing. Um, when you are giving yourself permission to be more open outwardly, you're giving yourself permission to be more open inwardly. And there's this deep understanding of who you are and how you're changing on a daily basis. And it, I think what's been so fun for me is watching my evolution and watching it with curiosity rather than with trepidation. Like there's so much that we get fearful of, like you talking about grieving these old identities. I've stayed in communities or with mentors or with friends long after I've outgrown them because I've been preventing grief. And now I welcome the grief. Ooh. I was just saying this to a good friend of mine Ooh, this morning. This I said, um, now I'm not looking for opportunities to lean into fear. I'm actually learning, looking for opportunities to lean into grief because that means I'm growing. Oh, that's good. <laughs> oh, fuck. That's good. And it's real. Can we just hit it? The grief, palpable yeah. grief. I mean, yeah. I'm in sobbing and the opportunity that I found recently was I shared with two of my best friends and my mother very personally, why I was grieving, what I was grieving, this, mm -hmm. this life I thought I was so sure I wanted and that society you did. Yeah. And I did a hundred percent. I did. And I'm not her anymore. And, and, um, and what society thinks I should be doing with my life and that I don't want to do anymore. And I was so sure this is the interesting part. I was so sure no one was going to get it. And my mom sent me flowers with a card that said, sorry for your loss. And my two best friends sent me texts twice a day, just saying uh, uh, stories about mourning and grieving and death. Yeah. And I, that healed something for me that felt like I had always been a misfit or an outsider. In that moment, that love, that level of love, that that healed something very deep for me. That's I felt amazing. Seen. I felt seen. Yeah. I felt well, seen. and you've posted about this on Instagram in the last couple of days, and I've thanked you for sharing yeah. because now that's the special sauce. That's the humanity. That's the 
that's the connection. The real shit we were looking for. The real shit that we're looking for. And the the permission to feel grief and the seeking of grief. It sounds weird, but seeking of grief means that I am actually seeking the full human experience. And that was something I wasn't doing. That's it. That's why I wasn't doing at Facebook. I wasn't doing with my gender stuff. So the permission to be fluid, the permission to be open is really just a constant seek for the seeking of the full human experience, the full expression of me, the dark sides, the light sides, all the parts of me and to just feel it and experience it and not try to run from it. Nope. Nope. That's where it is. That's the good shit of life. That's it. I didn't know that it, that there was so much in that treasure trove. I didn't know that has come out and what I've, how I've even watched you evolve in the last, you know, few months that I've had the pleasure of getting to know you. Um, and, and what I love about the movement that you're creating that has come from this treasure trove is that it is so like you multifaceted. And that there's this micro to macro level about it that is so, yes. it's so beautifully constructed. I just really wanted to give you that as a friend at that feedback that. Thank you. You can tell you gave such care and thought. And it's so, as all movements are, so much more than you. So much, which is such a beautiful piece about when we really want to sit with our humanity, it's those that plant trees that know they'll never see the shade. That's a movement that you're willing to create. And that's what I see in you. Can you describe these three aspects to your, to the piece yeah. that you're creating? So I need a new word for the first one. Cause I hate these buzzwords, <laughs> but <laughs> I love it. Fuck it. Whatever. We'll invent Fuck it. today. Whatever. So before I tell you about the movement, it's really important for me to, to say this because I, I, a lot of people that I work with, we're working with very similar people, right? Right. And they don't know. They have this burning desire inside them to do good and they have no idea how to t- articulate mission, message, movement. I didn't know. I had to be in constant motion and constant iteration and constant rewriting of it. Um, and yeah. so this didn't just fall out of my ass, <laughs> right? <laughs> This took a lot of articulation and a lot of exploration and a lot of figuring out who I was working and what my clients were up to looking at the world that what was happening in 2020. And so my mission really is to create a more authentic, inclusive and equitable world. Authentic is the buzzword I want to get rid of somehow, but authentic is all about within us at the individual level. Mm -hmm. Inclusive is at our community levels. And then equitable is all the stuff that, you know, societally is fucked right now. And I do believe it starts in the individual and all of it ladders up. I believe the more we can get to know ourselves and love ourselves, the more we can love others and our differences. And that will then translate into the policies and laws and ways we talk to each other. So at a secret level, I want to create summer camp because that's the one place where everybody could show up and be freaky and be themselves. Yes. That's, that's my secret mission. Can I, I do that with you? Mission. I want to do that with you. Totally. That's where, I became, that's where I came out. That's where I, well, I didn't come out there, but that's when I first was, oh, there's this thing called gay and look at that counselor. Ooh, she's really hot. We talked about this. I knew that I had a very different feeling than some people about Angelina Jolie. And I was like, yep. 
I think the I don't have a yep. description yet, but I feel something yep. different for that lady yep. than I do about other people. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That was my so summer, summer camps camp. that like that's the visual I I I see in my brain when I think about the authentic, inclusive, and equitable equitable world. Yeah. And so I really am doing that in this moment, one person at a time. I'm obviously have bigger dreams for like how to take that up a level. But this is what I see. And I see even I've had a couple of clients who recognize that bridging our biggest divides has to happen with that internal stuff. And it really boils down to when we are wounded, when we are unloved, we wound and hate others. That's it. I say when we don't see and hear and love ourselves first, how do we think we're going to be able to do that in the world? We don't. Yeah. We can't. We and can't. One of your favorite quotes, that's one of my favorite quotes from Ram Das. Yeah. We're all just walking each other home. And I feel like that's it. We're all just mirrors. We talked to Kelly Tennant and I just talked about this too. We're all just, we're all just mirrors to each other to remind ourselves to continue to come back home. And I think that's what you do so well. If anyone is looking for a really deep and meaningful connection and mentor about coming back home to your greatness and who you get to be today, that's Dr. Aaron, 110%. That is exactly what I do. It is. And home, home is a big concept for me. Right. That's what you're also working on in a book, right? What's oh, this, well, what's actually, this? it's shifted because oh, I am. Because you're constantly shifting. Tell me about this book you're writing. Yeah. So actually, I think that's part of the second book. So I had a, okay. you know, we have the same book coach, Patty. And God I had a Patty moment where, where there were two books in me and I kind of had a meltdown. <laughs> Fair. I know the, I know the feeling. <laughs> so, yeah, there's going to be pieces of it in this in this book because there is a whole thing about coming back home. But what I ended up doing is I decided I needed to write a book that was really fun. Yeah. Um, really, really fun. And I realized, so you and I both have a love of nature. Yes. Right. When well, we go out into nature, we take the 10 essentials with us. Right. So food, shelter, fire, all those things. I thought about what are the 10 essentials for taking your mission, your message, your movement and creating the biggest adventure of your life. Oh, I so love I'm this. writing about this thing called the land of possibility that you go hiking in, um, on your mission. And then there's these 10 essentials tools and they're not the things you think about putting in your backpack. So, um, one of them is magic beans. One of them is a game board. Uh, one of them is a surfboard. Yeah. Cause you can fit a surfboard in your backpack Obvious. and they're all these mental shifts you make that bring you back into curiosity fun one's a lab coat you treat everything like a scientist they allow it allows you to just it's a super adventure and i have this thought patty and i've been talking about like i'm actually going to create the physical things because one's called the hyla hat i don't know if shelly's talked to you shelly paxton's talked about the concept of hyla but um it's called high intentions and low attachment so high intentions towards your goal and your low attachment or no attachment if you get there, when yeah. you get there, how you get there. It's like the foundation of everything I do. And oh, so Shelly talked with Shelly about this concept on her podcast and she took it and someone said, oh, we can shorten to the Hyla. And I was like, oh, the Hyla hat. So now I'm going to have an actual hat you oh, can put on yeah. this Hyla. Right? I mean, I'll wear that hat all day long. So 
So I'm super excited about it. And so it's just going to be this really fun thing. And it's going to be all about how do we, you know, have this fun adventure. But the secret is what it really gets us to do is know, like, and trust ourselves. Yeah. It really comes back to that. All of it. And I'm going to talk about the non-essentials. You don't need to know why you're doing what you're doing yet. You don't need to know where you're going. You don't know how you're going to get there. You don't need confidence. You don't need mastery of any sort. Nope. Nope. All you need is these 10 essentials. And so it could be for people at the very beginning. And it could be someone who's like been on a mission for a while and needs to come back home to the basics. Oh God, this is going to be good. This is going to be so good. I love this. I've loved this conversation with you. I, the the last piece I want to touch on this podcast is all about who we get to become in the process of creating our life and our dreams. And so who are you becoming is this fascinating human writing this book and creating this new entrepreneurial lifestyle. Who are you becoming? I don't know. And I can't wait to find out. Ooh, I like that answer. Fuck. (laughs) God, that's good. Right. I just, I have just so learned over the course of the last several years that nothing is predictable. Mm-hmm. And when I can come at it from curiosity is a big thing for yeah. me, right? I almost had a, the curiosity cap, but curiosity was such a foundational thing for everything. <laughs> it's the high lat. But like for for real, like when I can be curious, the pressure is off. I get to just explore and I get to become and I get to change and I don't have to stick myself into new boxes. Yeah. I do know that I can be whoever the hell I want to be. Yes. I know I can do whatever the hell I want to do. Yep. Yep. And I'm just so excited to find out what that looks like. And anytime I get a dream in my head, the question I ask is, can I? Can I? Do I want to? (laughs) Isn't that what it means to be human? Yeah. Right? Really? At the end of the day, when we finally release needing to have a gender, a sexual orientation, a fancy job title, all the things you need to check boxes. When we say, fuck the boxes, what are we left with? Curious humans. Yeah. Which is just such a joy. It's such a joy. Just think of it as putting like the man with the yellow hats, big hat on every time you need to get curious. (laughs) I love it. I do. Yeah. Just being a detective of your own life. Like, what are we going to discover today? What is the mystery behind door number two? Like, I don't know. And that's the fun. And I think that's the piece that I love about it is that you could have taken this book in such a heavy turn and you chose to find the levity and joy of being curious about all of our own lives. And I I honestly think that's what entrepreneurs at the end of the day are. We're curious. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times good coaches, good mentors are just creating things because they're fascinated about who we get to become when we create the thing. And it's so much less about the thing really, really at the end of the day. Oh God. You have been such a joy. Was this as fun as you had hoped? I hope so. Cause I'm having oh, a fucking blast. I had, I, yes, of course. I knew it was going to be super fun. I'm this, looking forward to it all week. This is so fucking good. I feel like we could do this all the time. What I would really We're love, going to. obviously, duh. Uh, what I would really love is that for, for everyone that's listening, uh, go ahead and shoot us a, a quick Instagram story of what your biggest takeaway was today. What was the throw the loofah on the floor, throw your keys, scream out the car window. Somebody really thinks you got some, Weird fucking day happening. Whatever that moment was, go ahead and choose an Instagram story. Tag 
Dr. Aaron. Aaron, what's your what's your handle? I don't remember because I don't even remember Instagram exists See? most of the time. There you um, go. It's at Dr. Aaron M. Baker. There. Oh, that's don't a, forget the M. Don't forget the M. That's very clutch. <laughs> All right, Dr. Aaron M. Baker and me. Go ahead and tag us. We're real humans. We'd love to hear what yes. your biggest insights were. Dr. Aaron, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You're a fucking rock star. This was a joy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Full Body Fuck Yes podcast with me, Abby Gibb. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And it would mean the world if you leave a review so others know how kick-ass these episodes are. And I'm a real person over on Instagram, so tag me in an IG story at Abby Gibb and let me know what landed in your heart the most today. Thanks again for listening.